Hey, I'm Laurie. Hi, I'm Phil. Welcome back to Flicks and Film with Laurie and Phil. This is now... Oh, I've lost count, Phil. Is it episode 14 or episode 13? I think it's 14. Let's say with 14. We could do the hotel thing where they skip out number 13, don't they? they because nobody wants to stay out. What? Oh, because it's an unlucky room. Is yeah, that actually genuinely. true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of hotels uh, do that. If only they kept it in, that would be a guaranteed cheap room. If cheap you're, room um, for those non-superstitious. Yeah, exactly. I can't believe no one's actually done that. You could make a hotel called number 13, full, <laughs> filled with rooms that are only number 13. I bet you that would uh, attract quite a niche um, clientele. You could, uh, you could theme each room based on other famous hotels that don't have that room 13 or horror films and stories based around <laughs> unlucky numbers depending on the audience again, you, know, you can have one wing for like the, again. one wing for the, the horror fans one wing for the the just want to stay in a cheap room you, yeah exactly i'll take that one thanks very much hey well welcome you can probably tell from that um, joyful introduction that the world has changed hasn't it phil it feels like lockdown and um, certainly in the uk i don't know where you might be listening from um looks like it uh, is changing although news is always changing as well but the even the idea of staying in a hotel and going on holiday somewhere um doesn't now sound far-fetched like a fantasy um, and much in the same way, cinemas are opening up again. So I think, Phil, one of the first things we're going to do today um, is catch up with an email from uh, a new listener, but also have a look ahead to things in the cinemas. Does it even feel weird to say that? It does feel very strange, and I'm slightly worried that the cinemas are on the way out due to the, the recent discovery that you could, I don't know, release films online or something like that. Mm. Uh, and I worry that companies like, hey, why are we spending all this money uh, making money on the cinemas when we could just make more money at home charging 20 billion well, pounds for one movie yeah let's talk about that in a second because it's still a contentious issue for example we still not watched Raya and the Last Dragon or Raya and the Last Dragon how do you pronounce it um, but there's lots of other things to do Judith and I finally finished off one of my um, best Netflix discoveries in the last couple of years one of the, my favourite shows ever I think and by far the best show set in an office I think you will ever see I, I, I think so. I'll go that far with it. Uh, Miss Saying, a South Korean drama. We finally finished off episode 20 of that. Looking forward to talking about that. Um, and I might throw in another series called Into the Night, another Netflix show. Um, sort of one of these European ones, Phil. I don't know if you've come across these, um, but they just multiple languages all over the place. It's quite interesting to listen to and uh, a very odd cosmic plane-based <laughs> drama that it's impossible to explain. That sounds um, that sounds like uh, almost like a joke sketch about sort of niche shows, <laughs> multiple well, languages, that, cosmic planes. <laughs> Flicks and film, that's what you get on this show. You don't just get your average, guess what's out, what other Marvel film is out this week. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to lower the tone then maybe and I'm going to give you uh, some of something to do with Netflix. I'm going to give you the newest comedy special released by Bo Burnham uh, that she filmed and directed and wrote and starred in. Uh, all kind of a, a, a kind of COVID special, so to speak, uh, which he recorded. He he hasn't done stand up for a long time, and uh, yeah, I've watched that interesting, interesting. I don't know, is it a movie? Is it a comedy? Show? I don't know. I'll talk about it. Also, I really, really want to talk about the internet rabbit hole that I have continued to be stuck in for the last three weeks. I think I teased it last week, but I haven't had the chance to actually talk about it. I really want to talk about it because I want to see if I'm not alone. I'm not alone in the universe. And then lastly, uh, if there's time, I might cram in a uh, review of a audiobook that I'd be listening to which I think yeah I don't think there's going to be time for the audiobook 
I was about to jump in and say, well done, Phil, that all sounds achievable, but the audiobook, I reckon, save it. Oh, you know what? You've just reminded me of an audiobook thing that I wanted to do, which would be really funny, but it's too late now. So <laughs> that's something to look forward to next week. Hold me to that one, Phil, because I keep forgetting that it's gold dust. Um, it's to do... Well, no, I won't give it away. <laughs> that's all for next time. Let's dive into this one, shall we? Yeah, let's do some emails. Can you do a cool sound effect on that? Uh, possibly, yeah. Make it sound like, you know, like the, the echoey one. I know the one you're talking about, yeah. E-mail. All right, so starting off with an email. I enjoyed doing that last week, and uh, I thought we'd do it this week because we had a new emailer get in touch, or rather two new emailers, uh, Mr. and Mrs. What Shall We Watch, they have dubbed themselves. And I think, Phil, this is probably following on from that spin-off podcast we did for the Super Bailey Bros ages ago. What we've been watching. Can you remember the jingle to that? What have we been watching this week? It's a great jingle. I um, I actually feel bad about it though because I sort of plagiarised it. Not entirely. I sort of plagiarised it from um, uh, from this. Actually, let me play it for you, Phil. (laughs) There you go. Ah, it's so fantastic. That is um. I feel bad about saying it. That is a, a movie adaptation of a theme from a of a TV show within a game, <laughs> the Ace Attorney series, which I should do on this show sometime. It's the theme for the Steel Samurai, but uh, fantastically turned into an orchestra. I was going to use that on our radio show, Phil, um, when we were on the what, BBC. As our, G- as our sting. Exactly, yeah. That is one of that's, that's such a massive tangent. I do apologise. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Watch We Watch, that's now your theme song. Here we go. Here is their actual email. Dear Mr. Flicks and Mr. Film, now that's contentious straight away because which who's who here? Surely I'm Film being Phil. Why would you say that? Being a dick. (laughs) Don't you dare. We have a clean rating on this podcast. It's like goodness you didn't finish that word. That's disgraceful and wrong. (laughs) But actually, I think you might be right on the way round because even though, you know, and it sounds self-aggrandizing, but it's meant to be the opposite. Even though technically I'm the one who was film critic for a couple of years, you know, my name in print everywhere. And on even on the BBC, I was on TV as a film critic. Um, you know way more about film than I do. I think I'm more of a series sort of person. I don't know. I think I'm more encyclopedic about people. That's all it is. That's, that's my only cr- And I'm more claim. insightful and kind of interesting, right? Okay. Yeah. So you're like, you're yeah. like the, the dictionary and I'm the... You know that joke I just made a few there. seconds ago? Yeah, yeah that. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's you. Right, yeah. okay. Here we go. Here's their email. Dear Mr. Flex and Mr. Film, a whole load of random comments picking up on various stuff from the last couple of months. Oscar-nominated Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. We wondered what your thoughts might be about the problem of films which really aren't much more than well-produced plays on the screen. Well, I I haven't seen the, the film, so I can't comment on whether that's an accurate um, description of it. But Phil, I remember you saw Fences and you yeah, weren't and impressed I, by that. It was Yeah, it had everything you kind of would want to to put a play onto the screen, but... What was interesting? Denzel Washington, um, he starred in it. I think he directed it or wrote it or was involved in behind the camera as well as on screen. I think, yeah, yeah. And I think he'd even played the the main character on on um, on Broadway or the West End or wherever wherever it was featuring. And I remember finding myself thinking it was very claustrophobic and um, it, it it just felt lots of the devices don't work because it's not it's not real you're not watching something so one of the main devices in that film is the 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 main character's building a fence throughout the play and uh, that's kind of a passage of time that's happening 
and of course on you need camera. that on stage yeah exactly, exactly. but you not so much set. in movies yeah exactly so i think that got lost in the the smallness of the production whereas on stage it's because it's really happening in front of you it, it's it's everything's in proportion uh, i think on a big screen you need big events and big sets and scale to make it really work well, so what they say is when you're at the theatre, it's easy to suspend your disbelief and not mind the physical limitations of a lot happening within a fairly small environment, which I think is what you're saying there, Phil. But somehow it becomes slightly annoying on film. I keep wanting to tell the cameraman to go outside and get a bigger perspective. And because it was staged, it felt melodramatic rather than moving. Having said that, Viola Davis is impressively imposing and convincing. Yeah, interesting. Oh, yeah, sorry, and carry on. Chadwick Boseman works hard but feels rather over the top. Oh, right, okay. He's better in 42, a true story sports movie, uh, brackets basketball, which is right on message about dealing with and overcoming the obstacles of racism. Uh, the guy from Knight's Tale who talks about fonging people. Oh, that's Alan Tudyk, is it not? Um, yes. Is outstanding as a totally unsympathetic racist. Crikey. I would like CB Chadwick Boseman to have got an Oscar for that, for 42. Okay, but that wasn't what he was nominated for, of course. Um, really interesting. I've not seen any of those films, so I, I can't. I, I've, I wish I've I seen 42. Have you? What do you think? Do you agree with that assessment? Uh, I first of all, it's baseball, not basketball. I think you said basketball. Okay. Uh, it's baseball. Alan Alan Tudyk, I genuinely think is it is one of the most repulsive performances uh, you could do, and he doesn't flinch away from the character and what that character needs to be being racist and and because it's all true story. I think it it, it needs that hefty, horrible performance to really show the context of what it was having Jackie Robinson playing as the first uh, black man in baseball uh, in America. Uh, I I think Chadwick Boseman, I found it slightly underwhelming performance actually, but I do think it's a hard performance to do because, because it's a true, true story. uh, Yeah. But I'm I'm interested because obviously he got a lot of attention for uh, Moraney's, I can't remember the title now. Moraney's Black Bottom. Maharani's Black Bottom. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Um, partly because I think the Furore is that the right word? Furore. 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 Yeah. Well, it was all around Chadwick Boseman dying, sadly. And I think it's hard to evaluate a performance in light of that because it's his last screen performance. Um, so yeah, I, I I've kind of stayed clear of it. Well, let, let let's see let's see the film and see what we can come on because I'm I'm intrigued to see about the realization of the play on screen as well. I agree that that is very difficult to get right, and you can have claustrophobic films, but the camera, you, you kind of have to have a cinematic justification for that. It can't just be that you're limited by the the writing of the story. I think you know creativity and shot place. You think about Rear Window, for example, like the whole point of that film is that it is claustrophobic and frightening, but the camera work and the placement and the lighting and the fact really that it's only James Stewart in there makes it feel cinematic anyway. Would you agree with me on that one, Phil? I think it depends which way around maybe the story goes. Is it story first Mm. or is it kind of cinema first? Yeah, I think uh, that's an interesting thing. And maybe we'll come back to that with uh, Bo Burnham's special Inside because that is equally constrained. Okay, all right, we should carry on because they, they've, they've got more to say. Uh, the guy from Knight's Tale, also, <laughs> this is Alan Tudyk. He's really, it's weird, actually. A lot of people don't recognize, know his name, but they would all recognize his face because he's just that kind of, um, well, what's he in as well? There's a couple of things that he's really famous for being in. Uh, he was in Serenity, of course. He's in Arrested Development, Knight's Tale. He's in a lot of good things. Uh, anyway, they say he also surprisingly pops up in Trumbo. 
Um, another fascinating true story, which is eye-opening, both about McCarthyism and Hollywood movie making, brilliantly acted by Brian Cranston. It has an excellent script, well worth a watch. Yeah, I remember that coming out and not getting a lot of attention. Um, actually, I think people kind of found it underwhelming. So. I may I I am sensing the true story element might be key here, given um, the email is lauding at forty two as well. well. I'll give that one a watch uh, on Disney Plus. National Geographic may we recommend a series of very quirky but genuinely informative and insightful short documentaries, The World According to Jeff Goldblum. So far, we've really enjoyed the ones on sneakers, gaming, denim, and RVs. Now, I can imagine Goldblum nailing that. I think he's got a, a weird sort of. Uh, special access to enthusiasm, which is hard to to it, which is uniquely his own. He sort of is both amazed and intrigued at the same time. That's the kind of famous way he talks, isn't it, Jeff Goldblum? So I think yeah. you probably are onto something if you can get him talking about anything. I still really enjoy his uh, his mini cameo in. Well, it's not really a cameo. He, he's a guest star in Friends as an actor or auditioning oh, with yeah. uh, Joey. And I think even in that, he's there's something kind of magnetic about the guy, uh, which I think is he's kind of got cult status now, hasn't he? Oh, my! Uh, years ago that happened. Yeah, it's because he's so peculiar. I actually really like him in a Will Ferrell sketch on SNL about uh, would you eat the moon if it was made of ribs? And uh, what's your favourite planet? <laughs> it's very good. Um, it's hard to explain, but look up Jeff Goldblum. Um, uh, as a guest with Harry Carey talking about the moon. It's very, I can't, I actually can't explain it, but he's brilliant in that. And good in, um, uh, whatchamacallit, A Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. I think he's brilliant in that. But yeah, we'll give that a look. I have to say that I've been slightly put off National Geographic on Disney Plus because my kids like the nature documentaries um, and we've played quite a few of them. They really like something called Night on Earth, which I'll talk about sometime. And I thought, oh, and Disney Plus has got loads of nature shows with National Geographic, but like American nature programs um they're like uh they're like um sunny d <laughs> it's too strong <laughs> i can't too concentrated I can't enjoy it on some level there's orange in there there's nature in sunny d <laughs> but it's just smothered by you know production Artifice. so i yeah, there's something about national geographic that puts me off uh, but i'll definitely give it a go okay plus one they say it's laurie for love and monsters thank you yeah really worth a go have you seen it yet phil not yet, not yet. I've been watching other new things to make sure we can talk about other things as well. Well done, you well know. done. But you, yeah. you'd enjoy that. Yeah. You and Ellie would, would get a kick out of that. It's a good show. And um, plus one to Phil for Onward. Well done, Phil. That's the overlooked Pixar film uh, with Chris Pratt, isn't it? And um, Tom Holland, was it? Yes, 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 yes. I'd yeah. recommend it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay please keep up the terrific work and don't hold back with those bonuses i laughed a lot with deep recognition of the kind of remark you illustrated with i'm really good at pokemon blue oh, oh good i'm glad that made sense to somebody uh, if that makes no sense to you then um yeah as um these listeners say listen right to the end of the show and after we said our sort of goodbyes um we try and shove in a little bonus content that's got nothing to do with flicks or film for the most part that particular one is a memory of mine that still haunts me for some reason with a young kid trying to get a go on my Pokemon game by saying how good he was at it and my whole thing being, you can't really be good at Pokemon because it's not that kind of game and you mess up my thing <laughs> and no. So uh, listen back. Yeah, still, uh, still rankled. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's from Mr. and Mrs. Watch We Watch. Thank you very much, guys, for that um, very comprehensive email. Get yours sent in. We we'll love reading them and reading them out and commenting on them. Uh, oh, I can't remember the email. Flixandfilm at gmail.com or at Flixandfilm on Twitter. Now, Phil, do we want to quickly talk about cinema? 
you know, stuff that's upcoming. Yeah, I think it's it's beginning to sort of emerge like a groundhog and maybe we'll get uh, four more weeks of winter or maybe it'll be a short winter and cinema films will just be around the corner. And it's telling that the big news, I think, of the day is Amazon. Oh, can I tell you what the big news MGM. is? No, 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 no. Just because I've literally just logged on to the movie website. The big news of the day, Phil, literally the day, eight hours ago, Mission Impossible 7 production shuts down after positive COVID test. And if anyone has seen Tom Cruise... Losing it on the Mission Impossible set. Imagine what the man is doing now. We are not shutting this movie down. Is that what it's amazing, that video. It is. I, I sort of feel sympathetic to the guy because he, it, it, Mission Impossible is his like whole bag, isn't it? That's his franchise yeah. through and through. He's not just the star. He is, he is that movie. So he must yeah. be gutted because they've had to shut down like three or four times, haven't they? Or something like that. Is that right? That really? Is rough. Yeah, they've had like multiple. <laughs> not shutting this movie down. And imagine <laughs> all the headlines that are to come about it actually being Mission Impossible. So you don't have the colon. It just it is Mission Impossible because it's never going to get made in this uh, the pandemic world. Oh man, I look forward to seeing that when it gets released. Anyway, sorry, that's by the by. MGM ac- uh, acquisition by Amazon Studios. You were saying, Phil? Yes, and then the the, the big debate being: Would James Bond? be on cinemas or would you be able to see amazon original james bond and oh. uh, just be able to click it yeah it doesn't leave a weird taste in your mouth the idea of uh just it's just clicking yeah. on james bond for the new film something about i have to say in general amazon originals uh, leaves a bad taste in the mouth because amazon certainly for people in our generation phil who grew up seeing amazon dominate the market eventually like i remember before it was really what it is now it's a place where you went to buy dvds it's not a movie studio and so even i still any amazon original i still think mm, yeah it's a bit like curry's <laughs> coming out with a sitcom or you know what's what i'm looking for i can't think of a better example but you know what i'm saying it's like uh, here's the new heath Le- uh not heath ledger he's just in my head now here's the new brad pitt vehicle sponsored by starbucks starbucks movies it just doesn't feel quite right somehow you know and what's interesting is that james bond as a franchise is famously um stuffed with product placement isn't it well that's the key thing is he going to order a sony uh telephone on <laughs> amazon right. and have it delivered by a drone or is he gonna be like i need a gun quick exactly <laughs> get, get my gun from amazon <laughs> Oh, like, the sketch oh, writes not, itself, doesn't it's it? It's not on Prime. I knew I should have subscribed to Prime. <laughs> uh, that, that's what he'll be doing. He'll be kicking himself. Yeah, but that, it actually might genuinely cause issues because Amazon as a seller, you know, can it afford to product place in that way? Um, or actually, does it just make the whole thing much easier? So, you know, you get your sponsored um, adverts whenever you're searching for something on Amazon. Maybe that, maybe the ultimate sponsorship package now is James Bond, you know, using your notepad. James Bond is, becomes the... a big the, sponsorship. Uh, he uses your mobile phone case. You see him getting it out of the package yeah. um, so that you can take He'll out become like Mickey Mouse, won't he? He'll be like, uh, at the beginning of the Amazon original, James Bond will just be there dancing next to him. <laughs> saying, right. like, Good spot. Because I don't know how I feel about this anyway. It's such a long time since... Was it, uh, was it Spectre, the last one? I can't even remember. It was literally years and years ago. I think we were reviewing Spectre on it was uh, Spectre. the Super Bailey Bros podcast. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was a long time ago. I'd never warmed, to be honest, to the Daniel Craig era. I think Casino Royale was the best. I even have a soft spot for Quantum of Solace in some ways, but I didn't really like Skyfall. Um, I wasn't massively into Spectre. No Time to Die. I don't know. I just think it's over, isn't it? The Craig era is over, and he probably is annoyed at how long he's had to hang on to this franchise. I don't know. I think probably what it means is that by the time 
uh, it's actually released, it gives him the out, doesn't it? He says, well, I've been James Bond for all this time trying to get this film released. I'm done now. That's it. This is my last hurrah. Hurrah? Hurrah. And, uh, I mean, it seems like, is it Leah Sadu is back in it again? So it's kind of following on from... Um, Spectre as well. It seems like this is the last one for Daniel Craig, and then you get the excitement of who's going to be the next one, and it will be the Amazon yeah. Bond uh, to go along with it all. I know, yeah. and that is interesting. In some ways, that might be a good thing because the way they negotiate might be different than MGM were, you know, was. And I mean, I'm really genuinely intrigued to see who they cast next. Okay, but so though we don't keep rambling too long, Phil, can I? I've got. Um, well, I've actually gone to Odeon here to look through the upcoming cinema releases. Um, because now the cinemas are open. You can currently see Peter Rabbit 2. Presumably James Corden is still there. <laughs> Has the voice of the cheeky rabbit. Yep. Doesn't inspire confidence to me, but that was a massive, genuine, you know, actual families hit in a critical bomb or whatever it's called. I don't doubt that'll do fantastically over the summer. Quiet Place Part 2. We got invited to the screening of this, but of course, you know, life just doesn't allow for such things anymore. Are you excited about that? I can't really see what they would do for Part 2. Quiet Place for me has always been this enigma because I've been wanting to watch it. Everyone said it was brilliant. You should check it out. I'm not normally a horror movie fan, and uh, I don't. I think it's kind of on the tamer side. It's of not horror a horror movies, movie though, uh, but it's yeah. It's got Jim from The Office and uh, Emily Blunt, you know, as husband and wife. The first one, anyway. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I'm, it's on my to do list to watch a Quiet Place one. So I feel like Quiet You've Place not two, even I've seen just it. been kind of. I haven't seen it, no, because every time I think, oh, let's watch it, Ellie's a bit like, no, I'm not in the mood to watch it. And the big thing I heard about the whole Quiet Place 1 was that it has a pregnant woman trying to deliver birth, deliver uh, deliver a baby whilst in in silence. That's the big crescendo. I'm not going to comment on that because I think it's definitely worth a watch. Judith and I watched it during lockdown, which isn't necessarily the best uh, (laughs) time to watch that kind of film. Um, And it's got a lot of gut punches. So it's very emotionally resonant and powerful i think i would say a little bit contrived in places you can sort of add up if you you were playing like um emotion jenga (laughs) you can see you can probably figure out what's coming (laughs) because they they've stacked it up to really make it hit as hard as it can so you can probably guess a lot of the the sort of plot points but it's a great experience and it's an interesting project i think the thing about the quiet place part two is that um I, this this phrase is in my head now, and I don't even really know what it means. There's a bit of a sea change towards the end of A Quiet Place 1, which means that the second half necessarily will be a completely different prospect unless they discover that what was so good about the first one, they have to try and recreate it, which to my mind would be sacrificing some of the sort of narrative of the first. Is that making sense, Phil? Basically, I'm intrigued to see what they've done because it could be a snowballing misery or it could be really brilliant. It all depends how brave the uh, the studio is in my opinion i think uh, it's john krasinski back again to direct it all is that right uh it i don't his, have that like, information baby, wasn't it? me uh yeah he and emily blunt i guess um all right let's move on so interesting anyway cruella starring emma stone basically all these disney films like maleficent and all that i i have actually zero interest in it because i just think Disney are not capable of doing anything genuinely interesting. They're not able to really subvert anything. Um, they've got too much skin in the game. Um, they'll get criticised for everything they do. And and I just think it doesn't appeal to me. It's like watching someone walk a tightrope really badly. <laughs> so, you know, you, when you go to the circus and you watch someone do a tightrope <laughs> act or a trapeze, the whole point is they do it effortlessly and they look amazing doing it. When someone is actually wobbling, you're like, that rope. <laughs> Like, it's just not pleasant. And that's what these Disney films are like for me. (laughs) 
um, <laughs> picking yeah, up old yeah. properties and trying to survive in the modern world. Just to know. And then, like even the photo just doesn't appeal to me. Have you got any thoughts on Emma Stone as Cruella de Vil, Phil? Well, I just, I don't see how it works because the whole point of that character, I mean, Maleficent, they they were kind of doing the, um, uh, they were kind of doing the reimagining where actually it's all different than you thought, kind of reevaluating what has already gone before. Um, and I can't see how Cruella de Vil, the, the woman who skins dogs for fashion, could possibly yeah. be redeemed into a protagonist. I just don't understand. Even trying to that pitch of an idea doesn't work in my head. Um, and yeah. it just seems like a cash grab. That's, that's like you say, I think the, the tightrope man has fallen off. She probably managed to, to find another pet that was born without skin. And so when she skins these dogs, what she actually does is she skins rich dogs, rich dogs who she, don't deserve their skin, to clothe her poor dog that does deserve skin. That's the only thing I can think of. Very like, cool. This is exactly what I'm talking. <laughs> this is exactly what I'm talking about. It just doesn't. It doesn't appeal to me. It's not pleasant. It's like watching someone navigate an awful, like minefilled sea. Um, okay, Godzilla versus Kong. Um, I thought that had already been released, but it's um, apparently not available yet. 7th of June is when it's coming out. Maybe it was released on streaming services. Um, is this a continuation uh, yeah, it's released of like on Kong's... streaming services. Right, Kong Skull Island, which I, I thought was brilliant up to the first half. Um, it's that quite interesting director, I can't remember his name, and then rubbish towards the uh, by the second half. I, I, I'm not really into the big monster smash films anyway, because they always end up the same way, don't they? Yeah, I think... Genuinely, I think Pacific Rim is the only one of those films, the kind of big monsters battling that I've actually loved. And uh, I feel like that was the one which got kind of most ignored uh, in in the grand scheme of things. I I just don't understand. I think King Kong, because of that weird thing of being around back in the day and inspiring Peter Jackson and other filmmakers has just kept on being everyone's watched that film the black and white version and thought oh this could in their head it lives much more alive and then they just kept on pushing that sort of narrative of the big monster trying to update it and make it bigger and better um and I just I for whatever reason I just think it seems a bit silly but that's, I think uh, people perceive it to have like philosophical or even existential depths, Phil, about like the nature of existence and morality and humanity, because that's the whole thing, isn't it? Be- it's a Beauty and the Beast story. Um, and, you know, is this creature noble or is it too deadly to be alive? And to me, it, it exemplifies it's similar to AI. Um, the, these ideas that people have, are, uh, they seem complex, but really there's just nothing there. It all comes down to the same thing about how wonderful or unflawed humans are. It's funny, you have to go to a giant monkey to, <laughs> to really figure that out. The depths of human souls. I think that is what I think that's what it's about and in a quite disappointing way. Uh, let's do a couple more of these, Phil. Um, I'm enjoying speculating. Black Widow, well, that's been just going on for such a long time. I'm quite enjoying it here as well because on Odeon, they don't yet know what the runtime will be, so they've listed it as a runtime of one minute, which would be genuinely <laughs> revolutionary if my <laughs> the Black Widow film... You literally have seen it in the trailer. Years. Yeah, <laughs> That's it, a one-minute film. Um, I don't know. I can't, I can't believe that Scarlett Hansen is at all bothered about it anymore. I bet she wants out of that deal. Do you not think? Oh, well, I think... I, I think having got that role... Uh, it, I'm I'm pleased that they're doing sort of more female-led superhero movies. I think Captain Marvel yeah. was meant to be the the flagship version of that, and for whatever but reason, isn't it I weird think... that it wasn't Black Widow? Why? Yeah. She's been there for such a long time, and a Captain Marvel had to come in first. 
Yeah, I agree. But I, I actually think the reason why they're pursuing it so heavily is because they realise that Black Widow is a bit more of a bankable, interesting character up front than Captain Marvel was. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to it. It's got um, the guy from Stranger Things as well. It's got Rachel Weisz. Uh, I think it could be quite fun having um, a superhero movie where none of the people are really super powered. So it's just more it's just them That's doing true. their twizzly kicks and things. I think well, that could her, be the, the, the character is all um, espionage, isn't it? Like... Um... Isn't she from the Soviet Union? As I can't, I can't remember where she originates from. But like a Russian spy or something, I can't remember. Yeah, Which but it's all set. Yeah, but it's all set in a superhero world, so it's just kind of like well, you could do whatever you want. I think, I think that's yeah, fun. that's not like, a good could... thing. That's not a good thing. I like limitations. It's just like <laughs> Ant Man would have been better if it was actually like a thiefy film. Uh, anyway, all right, Black Widow, interesting. Dune, I'm interested in Dune, but mainly because it's one of those um, uh, sci-fi sort of classics, epics that people have tried to make into all kinds of different media over and over again. And I think never been entirely successful. It also has um, one of my favourite names for, um, you know, we go on about like the Maze Runner with the Creepers or whatever it is, mm. and the, the Hunger Games and all that. Well, Dune has the sandworms, but actually the concept of the sandworms in Dune, I think is one of the best I've ever seen. And I also love how boring that name is for something that is massively kind of dangerous and interesting in that world so we'll talk about that some, uh, it's actually on my list of uh, things to talk about on the podcast is the best sci-fi names as opposed to the worst kind of uh, yeah i'm excited for names. dune because of dennis villeneuve i think that's gonna villeneuve. be a, villeneuve yeah i'm excited is he a bit but i think is he a no little i think no is you just didn't like blade runner little, but just a little overrated no and i didn't I like think... arrival that was him too right I think everything he does has got quality in it. Even if you don't like the the, the story that's being told, I think there's there's always quality in what he's doing. But Phil, and, I mean, would you like a hair a hair overrated? Like just the smallest tiny bit overrated? Would you say? I like his films. Ah, oh, well done. I was trying to trick you into agreeing with me. All right. Um, Fast and Furious Nine always intrigued um, to see the new. <laughs> Dennis Villeneuve, and you're like, nah, Fast and Furious Nine. <laughs> Uh, it's too turgy. It's boring. Uh, you know, I like Term Sicario, um, but that's partly because of Taylor Sheridan, who we're also going to talk about in a minute. Um, okay. Mm, I'm looking at all these other films coming up. There are some worth talking about. Hold on, hold on. Monster Hunter, movie game adaptation. The trailer does not look inspiring. It's Mia Jovovich, um, which means it's going to be going in the direction of the Resident Evil franchise, some of which are worth a watch. Kind of intriguing. No. Uh, nope. <laughs> no Time to Die, we've talked about. Paw Patrol, the movie, big one. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings have not heard anything about that as a comic book story at all. You're more of a comic book guy than me. Is that familiar to you? I, I'm not familiar with the the hero, but uh, I, again, it's uh, Marvel, another superhero movie. I'm up for it. I, I think Marvel at this point, they're, they're always worth a ticket, aren't they? Even if the film Almost is not always. the Almost always. It's entertainment. It's, they're one of the few franchises that do manage to really genuinely tick the entertainment box. Okay, let's run through these at pace, Phil. Space Jam, A New Legacy. How is it that it's taken so long to do this? LeBron James teaming up with Bugs Bunny this time. Um, it means that yeah. the reruns of Space Jam uh, won't happen anymore, I suppose. I don't know. I think it will It'll get a lot of attention. People go see it. Um, I think it will be a ticket seller. I don't think it will capture the magic of the first one, i.e. the magic being that it wasn't very good, but because it was basketball, Michael Jordan and Bugs Bunny, for whatever reason. Well, it was still new as well. Like they tried it with um, Roger Rabbit, the mix of um, live action and cartoon. You don't see that too much anymore because CGI is too good. Um, So it'll be interesting to see which way they go. I wonder whether they'll go sort of SpongeBob SquarePants direction and do CGI versions of Looney Tunes, which then, of course, could spawn a new generation of Looney Tunes um, series 
for a younger generation. I wonder whether they might do that. Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, like the sound of that. That was a surprise no, hit for me, no, even though no. it was a mixed. A mi- Did you not enjoy it? I thought it was quite good. I overall. think it's a the real first mix. One was, first one was fine. The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard is just. It just, I don't know, this is the sort of classic thing where they may manage to make more money than they anticipated, so they drum up a sequel, even though there's nothing left to mine there. The characters are not memorable. You don't, I, like, I vaguely remember that Ryan Reynolds was in it, and that was about it, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, and Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, but and, what um, happened in the story? Well, so um, Samuel L. Jackson's a hitman, and uh, Ryan Reynolds has to be his bodyguard. That's the story he has. So to you remember the title? <laughs> you remember the yeah, title? Yeah, no, no. He has to get this hitman is going to testify against um, a criminal to say, "Look, I was hired to do all these killings by this war criminal," and the hitman is the only witness. So the bodyguard is needed to get the hitman to this court so that he can testify. And it's just kind of funny, isn't it? A hitman is now the target and a slightly lame bodyguard who's just lost his AAA status because one of his marks got killed um, has to guard him. I, I th- have you seen it or not? Yes, I've seen it. I think we watched it together in the cinema. I find it really um, weird that you don't, you don't rate it higher. Okay, let's move on. The Suicide Squad. What is this? What is this? How have you not why, heard about this? Why is James Gunn... I have genuinely missed this and I, you're, I agree with you. How have I not heard about this? Yeah, how have you not heard about this? Because this is big news at the time. Suicide Squad, you know the mess that that was, uh, but I think they realised that there's money in the the idea and the characters, and uh, James Gunn got fired off Guardians of the Galaxy 3 because of Twitter history business. And then in the light of that, DC were like swept him up to try and get them to do their own version of Guardians of the Galaxy, which is the Suicide Squad, I think, a ragtag bunch of misfits. And then... So he's doing it. He's written it. He's directed it. John Cena's in it. Uh, various people are in it. I think, uh, and and it kind of is when you say various people, on from I need the to tell one. you, Idris Elba, Taika Waititi, uh, Joel Kinnaman, who was the the guy in um, uh, what do we call it, Altered Carbon? Who he thinks that Jai Courtney. There's a blast from the past. Peter Capaldi. What? Like I, I don't exactly. And Nathan it's, Fillion. Nathan Fillion off Serenity. It's a really like they've gone for the kind of nostalgia cast they're trying to hook in a a big fan base but that i don't think this is good news phil do you i think james gunn is attached he's made guardians of the galaxy i think people will go see it no but the the fact that it's happening the fact that it's being done like this i don't think that's a good thing fan power is not good power i don't think it's fan-led i think it's him having a lot of credit amongst celebrities uh, and doing kind of bizarre, niche things. And probably, I'm guessing, some of the names attached are going to get wiped out very quickly. Because you know the premise of the whole film is, you know, that they're yeah, sent yeah. in and they're kind of disposable. So I think the whole the whole thing is there's going to be lots of these big names and then half of them will get wiped out in the first five minutes. That Surely that's going to be what's um, happening. De- uh, Deadpool 2, that was the best scene in the whole... Um... But even though it was quite morbid, that was the best scene in the whole film. You've seen, you've seen uh, Deadpool two, right? Um, he yes, I was with you. I went to see it, man. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember anything. Uh, okay, all right. Okay, last few. Sorry, I hope you're enjoying this. This is a little rundown. That's how not in touch we are. Top Gun Maverick. I mean, that has been in the works for a long time. I actually think that could be good. And it's, I don't think you really see this kind of film anymore. Um, the slightly 80s take on the military world. You don't see that. What you tend to get now is like the Hurt Locker, right? And kind of quite 
serious investigations into PTSD and the ethics of war. You had what is it, American Sniper uh, with Bradley Cooper, where Top Gun Maverick's like, yeah, <laughs> shoot him down. And um, it'll be quite interesting to see what they do with it. It feels quite like a video game, um, but it'll be interesting do you not if they think walk they'll that go... right well. Do you not think they'll go down the line of making it into war is a drug and, you know... No, I, that, I don't. That I hope thing. that they will be smarter than that. I want to see something like Point Break uh, or the original Top Gun back on the screen because I think there is a way to do it that isn't insensitive um, but that nevertheless kind of maintains a sense of the sense of glamour and fun that was the entire point of Top Gun. That's why you watched it. It wasn't for the, the serious stuff. It was for the Kelly... Mag- is it Kelly McGillis romance? Is that her? And the uh, the tighty whitey Tom Top Cruise. Gun. Are you serious? You haven't seen it. <laughs> Looking Tom Cruise being emotional and scarred in tighty whiteies is something you never forget, Phil. I've seen lots of people talk about it. I've never actually watched it, so I don't know. It just doesn't appeal to me. Well, let's see what Top Gun Maverick's like. And uh, Odeon correctly has put this at the bottom of the list. Save the best for last. Wrath of Man. Guy Ritchie directing Jason Statham. Jason Statham. Um, Jason, there's Jason, absolutely nothing yeah. wrong nothing wrong with that combination the plot follows H a cold and mysterious character working at a cash truck company responsible for moving hundreds of millions of dollars around Los Angeles each week hmm I wonder what will happen with oh, with Statham in the, as the lead and Guy Ritchie at the helm that's an appointment to view for me it's, uh, it's, all, it's all a game of chess isn't it that's what he says it's just chess that's right he's obsessed with chess chess is, guy. Chess is everything life's, life's chess yeah that was, that's an amazing interview I highly recommend that's talking about Revolver look that up that's amazing Guy Ritchie he doesn't even he, I, I think he might be more self-aware than anyone realises Guy Ritchie genuinely I think he, you can't be married to Madonna without being self-aware I mean seriously um, okay <laughs> what Phil, do you mean that's the most ridiculous thing know, I've ever heard you say it's a, actually meaningless comment but it sounds like it means something it's a way of moving on to the next topic which is Taylor <laughs> Sheridan <laughs> Who um, is directing... Uh, no, he wrote Those Who Wish Me Dead. No, he directed and written it a little bit. Yeah, okay. Tell me about this. You wanted to mention this briefly. Well, just because Taylor Sheridan is one of those names which I think is up and coming as a filmmaker you want to watch. He used to be an actor and then he turned to screenwriting and he did a string of films that I think are top draw. He did Hello High Water, very good, Chris Prine uh, and Ben, what's his name? I've forgotten its name, but a very good performance of two brothers, bank robbing. Ben Foster, that's right. Thank you, Laurie. And uh, he also was the man behind a brilliant film starring Jeremy Renner and uh, one of the Olsen, it's the youngest of the Olsen family. What's her name again? First name. Um, uh, Scarlet Witch, yeah. Um, oh, now you've made me. It's Elizabeth, Elizabeth Olsen. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Elizabeth Olsen. And I, yeah. for the life of me, um, Wind River, that was it. I nearly forgot yeah. the name of it, but it's a brilliant film, Wind, R- Wind River. Uh, really uh, restrained direction. And he was the writer behind Sicario, though I think Sicario, the director, basically stripped back all of his script. So it ended up oh, being really? Is that a right? lot of Emily Blunt just looking very worried. Yeah, but I think the story... That's Vilna Phil, for the, you. The characters, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so I'm intrigued to see this one. It's Angelina Jolie. Angelina Jolie in a forest and it's on fire. Um, that's all I really know. I've heard that it's uh, kind of a callback to like 90s action. So, mm. yeah, I don't know if it will be, if it will live up tell to you the, what the plot I is. just have high. No, 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 no. Okay. no. I'm, I'm kind of wanting to go into, into it blind. I just know that there's a fire. I saw the trailer. Angelina Jolie is a bit of a, for me, that was meant yeah, to be a, me too. But there you go. I did the sound yeah. properly. But um, yeah, I think, I think, 
because his name's attached, I think this might be one to watch. That's my prediction. So we'll Nicholas see. Holt's I'm hoping name to is see some of these films. You know. Yeah, I like Nicholas Holt. I saw him in the tube once. I I think I don't generally consider his involvement to be a positive sign. I think he was quite good as Beast or whatever it was. But almost always I look at this guy and think, like, it's not that I don't necessarily think he's a good actor, but I never find him convincing. He's he's a man who looks awkward everywhere that he is. There's something about his um, expression and body language that really suits about a boy where he is playing that character. Do you know, I, I sung Shake, uh, Show Me What You Want to Watch a 2, Natalia Tenner, um, from that film. That was one of my radio highlights, man. That was a good moment. We talked about a Game of Thrones cookbook. But anyway, Nicholas Holt. No, I don't. I don't rate him, I don't think. What about, you saw The Favourite, didn't you? The uh, one with Olivia nope. Coleman as uh, Queen Anne. He was uh, one of the, the Whigs, one of the politicians, and he was brilliant, I thought, and really uh, hit the tone. Yeah, he was really, really good. He was very funny, and um, there was, I'm going to use a word which I don't know the meaning of, it was like some acerbic wit. Do we have acerbic? acerbic is, what's yeah. the word, Dory? Help me out. Acerbic, had, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was very... Uh, yeah. Okay, good. Uh, his his sort of wit and delivery in his scenes, which aren't that many in that film, I think set up the rest of the movie's whole tone. Uh, so I think he, he does a lot in, in that particular film that made me think, oh, this guy knows what he's doing. He's a good actor. Okay, all right. I think that's the end of the marathon, isn't it? Well, there's a whole load of things to take on board there. Uh, listeners, tell us your thoughts on any of those films because there's a lot that you could go and see now. We, we said we were going to talk about the cinema versus home thing. In a word, Phil, I think the home viewing experience is overpriced at the moment. Um, and so I, at the moment, I don't think it'll last. I think people will go back to the theatres um, because so many more people go on their own than you think. Um, and you don't want to have to pay 15 quid to watch, you know, Ray of the Last Dragon by yourself in your living yeah, room in your pants. I think you know the, I mean? the big mistake in general is the fact that you're already paying for a service with 90% of these things as is to then be charged yeah. a premium for what will essentially be given to you in a few months I just don't think, yeah, the price point is the issue. It's not the fact that people don't want to pay. I think it's the price point. If it was half the price, £10, you don't really want to be spending... I think they're working on the basis that four people will be watching in your room. Well, that's uh, the thing. and that, But that's quite a big deal for them, ticket sales. And they, they don't have a... It's going to be tough for them to estimate their audience, isn't it? Um, whereas maybe they figure that if someone does pay £15 to watch, that might represent at least more than one person. I, I don't know. I think go cheap and get more people. I think more people will be willing to spend about seven quid on a brand new movie than they would be for 20 quid. I'm not going to spend 20 quid on a film uh, just just because at my own house. Like, what am I paying for? It doesn't cost them anything well, and to deliver it. I think they miss the fact that there's one of the major benefits of the streaming services is how much choice there is. So if you're faced with the choice between 20 pounds or something that, as you say, will come out soon or nothing extra for a great film that you haven't had the time to watch yet it's the same two hours of your life isn't it i think everyone knows which way they're going to go unless they've got more money than sense but that's not actually true because i can see a lot of reasons why you would do it if there's something you're really desperate about or for example if you're making a podcast where you're meant to know anything about films you might consider that a worthwhile investment so you can actually talk about it yeah and it well yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well i'm curious if you're somebody <laughs> out there just to make it less sort of at the end have you paid to watch any of these films? Do you think, oh, yes, I think it's worth it because XXX and, you know, whatever it might be, X and Y, I should have said, not XXX. <laughs>
then do get in touch if you have purchased these things and you think actually this is a brilliant way i love this new delivery platform it works so much better um or if you think how what's the what's the what's the tipping point out there for people uh to spend the money at home to watch these new films i'm curious yeah and let us know your thoughts on any of those upcoming films loads to get in touch about uh flicks and film at gmail.com at flicks and film on twitter Thank goodness you told me he's a comedian. Otherwise, I wouldn't know how to respond to that. <laughs> so the thing is, this is very unusual because it is, and you can't see this on the, the, the headphones, but it's a, a comedy special with the bunny ears either side because it isn't really a special. It's more like a uh, a short film, but over an hour and a half with an intermission. Um, Bo That's Burnham sure. is a... Bo Burnham is a comedian who... Uh, does a kind of mixture of songs and stand up and quite theatrical in terms of how he presents his uh, his shows they're very much shows rather than just comedy straight up stand up comedy um he start got his start very young sort of a 16 17 year old doing youtube stuff and then progressed and uh he's he's always been this sort of bright kid uh who is pushing down doors and being quite meta in how he approaches things now I have never really known what I think of his comedy because sometimes I found it quite funny. Sometimes it's like, that's kind of clever, but it it's always felt like not clever enough, really. He's not, he's never quite got over the finish line of being properly clever. It's more like, oh, that's clever for a young man or a young adolescent. That's quite intelligent sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's like a teacher. You kind of go, oh, A plus, good effort, Bo. Well done. Um, but then he took a massive break from stand up. Five years was his, uh, five years ago was his last special that he did on Netflix. And then he sort of said, oh, I'm kind of done with this, uh, due to what he said was mental health reasons and things like that. But in the meantime, he, d- he's become a film director. He directed a film called 13, um, 
Uh, I think that's right, or am I mixing it up? Anyway, it's about a teenage girl, uh, which I loved. I thought it was a brilliant film, really well judged, very sensitive, uh, insightful, funny, but also kind of heartbreaking at the same time. Great movie, got a lot of um, critical acclaim for that. And then here we have this special, which is kind of impressively directed, performed. The only thing which isn't kind of actually there as certain is comedy uh, because it is 90% him singing songs which are funny 90% yeah like it's not it's not really um, he doesn't really do stand-up bits but his songs are funny and I did find some parts of it very funny but he's still he's never quite matured out of his um, I'm an edgy teenager type persona but in the special, he talks about this and he, he kind of he reflects on himself and realizes that he's pretentious and uh, needs everything to be really intelligent or else he's he's worried it doesn't have value. And he knows that him calling out it doesn't change the fact that it's still pretentious, but he's kind of doing it to protect himself. It, it's like layers and layers and layers and layers. But at the same time, it's all the whole thing. I still can't tell if it's as smart as he thinks it is or if he's actually trying to be honest the thing i want to say laurie you're looking the the faces that laurie's giving me is ridiculous (laughs) when you said everything's meta i just thought i've just been metaphorically sick you know like meta is just (laughs) i I don't here's the thing everything you say about the guy I, i feel a lot of sympathy with him because he he even uses the word content in that video, in that song that we heard in the trailer. He obviously is making stuff for an audience that love it. And you never know, man. Creative people are real people. He may not even realise why he's successful. He may not know what the direction ought to be, whether he should be funny or whether he should be meaningful or you know, just kind of try and relate to people. There's all kinds of things that go on in people's minds, especially in YouTube, where you, you just get famous really fast and then it, you become a thing, don't you? And people follow you kind of no matter what you do unless you say something really disastrous and offend everyone people will just kind of support everything because it's not really about you anymore it's about being i like bo burnham and it's actually got nothing to do with the artist or the content it becomes your crew doesn't it um so i got a lot of sympathy with him if that's how he feels um i say sympathy i just want to be really clear i don't relate to the man because there's absolutely nothing about me that is like that no one is (laughs) clamoring to be part of my fan club i just want to say that's not what i'm getting at but like I don't know. Like, I, as soon as I looked at that trailer, I was just looking at the comments a little bit. And this is the kind of thing that makes me, I just don't know, it makes me feel disengaged with the world. The fact that this is on Netflix, the fact that it is the way that it is, the songs sound fine, but there's, the songs aren't exactly groundbreaking musically or lyrically. I mean, he's talking about being locked down. Oh, uh, yeah, me too. Just to be like, just Red be clear, Media, that sh- Le- Red Letter Media were really hilarious about this, the movie review guys. But I couldn't believe that when I watched their reviews, they found new jokes about lockdown every single time I watched their videos. And I'm amazed. And I don't think they would even necessarily call themselves comedians. So he had, there's a lot of material to work with there, but he just opted for, I feel the same as everyone else and put it in a song. And then there's this comment underneath just the video be- says, hold on, the best thing I've seen in a long Long time. Bo's visual storytelling and songwriting always blows me away, but this was truly a masterpiece. I saw that word thrown around a lot and thought maybe it was an over-exaggeration, but it really was one of the best things he's done. 
the most jarring for me. It's different, more performance art than comedy, but still funny moments and songs. Captivated all the way through, and I think a lot of us feel or have felt much that he is right now. So maybe for me, the relatability gave me some bias, but wow, an amazing piece of work, no matter what way you look at it. That kind of comment makes me think, blah. <laughs> all right. Am I annoying you? Are you going to let me talk about it? You've, yes, you are. I massively, did. I was silent I think, the whole time. No, you're not. You're talking. And I, every time I want to interrupt, I can't do it because of the Zoom delay. That I get all of that. <laughs> and I've got those same thoughts too. But sometimes the, the, the challenge of a critic to be pretentious now is to see the, the gold amongst the, the poop, you know, and, uh, and identify the good bits amongst the horrible rubbish bits. And I think, in some ways, firstly, that's that that trailer that was played at the start um, is is the opening of the special. So it is the kind of very first thing that you see, and it is kind of like a a mini taster for what might come up in the rest of the special. Because I think what what this special does have genuinely is an amazing abundance of creativity because the whole thing takes place inside this one little space. It uses uh, projectors and lights and um and camera work to make it genuinely visually quite spectacular and impressive he doesn't just it's not just him in a room being bored he you can kind of see the the skills that this guy has and how he's throwing everything into it to make it a a theatrical um I, I use this word carefully, but spectacular that genuinely is quite engaging and, and watchable and impressive with the amount of creativity that he's managed to put into it. And it's just him in a room singing songs and uh, using some pretty lights to sort of mix it up a bit. And so I think amongst all of that, and I kind of agree with you, there is something genuinely kind of impressive and creative about it all. And some of the thoughts I think are quite interesting and thoughtful. And some of the songs are slightly funny uh it's i and so i can't quite get my head round about exactly what i feel about it because i think half of me wants to do exactly what i think you're doing laurie having not watched it may i point out um which is Uh, look i'll say what i said last week i'm being a podcast co-host you know it's not always i'm not lying about my feelings but i am overdoing them i'm over egging the pudding phil yeah and you do your your egg is very good egg but um (laughs) but like it just it's part of me wants to feel react like that but another part of me wants to sort of defend it a little bit and be just uh maybe there is something kind of interesting there now i don't know what you might make of this if you are listening at home and maybe you've seen it maybe you'll think oh, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go anywhere near that i am curious about what other people thought because uh i i can't quite work out and this is the big question i have what finishing it is there's moments of again i'm going to use the bunny ears honesty in the special where you see the sort of offshoots of his him filming it himself where he has mm. uh moments of uh sadness and and angst and frustration Reminds about me of david brent yeah okay but david brent would I, do a really good uh comedy special just like this yeah even 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 all of those kind of honest moments they are put there in a purpose and directed and so i kind of feel like in one sense he's he's bearing his all and being very honest about his his struggles and pain and i think you summarize it very much uh he's he's become a product that people like but what is that product and what's his kind of contribution he might and not know he... yeah exactly and i think there is some honesty in there but at the same time it is a product of his and uh and i don't know quite if i'm in on the joke 
or if I am the joke, watching and consuming his his misery, his uh, angst. I and can't anger, imagine he w- it would like to take it out on his fans in any sense. I don't. I don't get. You know. I, I don't think he would be ma- malicious in that way. But maybe the producers might be. The producers probably know what they've got on their hands and. I don't, it's a Netflix thing, so he can't have done it completely solo, can he? I mean, I'm sure he's done a lot of the creative work. It sounds like he is a talented guy. But, you know, they, all these things are cynical, but not in a nasty way. Everything, if you, this is what I was saying about last week, kids shows. The reason I like kids shows that just want you to buy toys is that it's honest about its cynicism, you know? And so you can dismiss it. When something's upfront about what it is, you can decide to take it or leave it. Whereas when something p- pretends or portends to be something that it isn't, that gets trickier. Um, and again, I don't, I don't lay this at Bo Burnham's feet, but can I read you some more of you titles, Phil? Because I think genuinely, <laughs> yeah, I think on. people who are on the fence about this, like the number one here, 122 people found this helpful. The most honest piece of comedy I've ever seen. 10 stars. The next one, not a comedy per se, but a masterpiece nonetheless. Nine stars. In a show with no audience, you've never felt so present. 10 stars. A loving special for <laughs> the fans. You can see the Guardian critic, can't you? Genuinely <laughs> speechless. 10 stars. Um, I just like, I don't know, Bo Burnham transcended with this one, a masterpiece, a very crucial and well-written piece. I don't know, I'm 14 and this is deep, isn't it? Possibly. And that's kind of why I wanted to bring it to your attention in some ways, because I know of all the people in my entire life... (laughs) The the person who the 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 palate cleanse the sorbet between all the rich indulgence is Laurie Bailey mm. and I I kind of want you to watch it so that you can tell me if it's stupid or not and Am I, I can sort of... all right I'll give it a go I'll give it a go and t- I'll tell you what Phil based on everything you said I bet you anything I'll enjoy it more than I don't enjoy it it's the people's reaction to it that I don't like um, I just think come on you can do better than this you, you know, the world is so huge and you know and don't if you if you elevate these people beyond what they even feel themselves that they are creating then it's not good for them because then you don't know what's good about what you're making whereas if you're Tolstoy or whatever and someone says this is a masterpiece then you kind of think yeah you know what flipping was it took me 5 years to write it and a Karenida <laughs> You know, thanks. I deserve that. Whereas Bo (laughs) Burnham's comedy special on Netflix, (laughs) it's not going to help him if you say, oh, that song you made changed my life. Like, I just don't know. You know? Anyway. It made me think for a little bit, maybe about one or two of them. Last thing I'll say, just to to give a little bit of a caveat to the listeners, it is quite rude and it it, it might not be your cup of tea. And I wouldn't wouldn't say, if you're you're 20 minutes in, I wouldn't say, oh, we kind of passed the... uh, the 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 slightly more risque stuff i would say probably if you're not enjoying it after 20 minutes maybe bail because it is quite a big yeah. uh, chunk of time to give up uh, and uh the last the last last thing i'll say is my favorite thing on it was uh, a song about white girls instagrams uh in which he shows okay. the types of pictures that white girl instagram people might use which i genuinely thought was very funny and i, I well, thought just impressive. do stand up next time done. just make some jokes be a bit that's <laughs> honest isn't it stand up is more honest than this is this artistic stuff is not honest. Being honest is going on stage and doing a stand-up show because everyone knows that it's not really you. It's a persona. That's more honest than pretending to be yourself on camera and showing behind the scenes, but not really behind the scenes. Three more review headlines for you. A brilliant piece of art. <laughs> I'm almost speechless. But I think I, I think I think he he thinks that's ridiculous. Exactly, exactly. And that's why I feel confident in reacting this way. Anyway, let's stop talking about this. Ah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I just the thing is, in my head, I've already I know exactly how someone would listen to me going on about this. I know how annoyed they'd be. <laughs> I know Partly you're the tortured artist as well. Them. Maybe maybe I'm not a tortured artist. Maybe. Not in the slightest. I think people. The thing is that annoys people so much about this kind of opinion is they know on some level it's right, but it's just annoying to hear it said because it's so much better to not think about it like this. Masterful self-portrait of the human experience. Okay, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> okay, well, best till last in this case. Now, everyone will be... Oh, is it going to be last? Uh, not, well, I think probably not kindly disposed towards me after my venting about the Bo Burnham thing, which I haven't seen. I hope you can appreciate where I'm coming from, listeners. And, you know, tell me I'm wrong. I will watch it, Phil, and I'll tell you whether I think I'm wrong too, which is which often does happen, despite the way I put across my opinions. But anyway, forget that. I want to gush about something, and you can tell me that I don't know what I'm talking about. Missaying, or missing, I don't know how to pronounce it, M-I-S-A-E-N-G, is a South Korean drama that I kind of came across by accident on Netflix fairly early on um, in lockdown. And I think it is one of the best drama series I've ever seen. I, I think it's one of the best written TV shows I've ever seen. Certainly, it is the most I've ever enjoyed office drama in my entire life. And it, within the first few episodes, I was quite moved by it because it reminded me so powerfully of some of my working experiences. Um, let me tell you about it. So what missaying means, apparently in Korean, is incomplete life. So it's a show about people who are searching for things um, in their ordinary everyday life and how we all experience, you know, coming to the end of the day, feeling like there's something still that you, you just isn't quite in place, that there's something still you need to settle um, so that you'll feel complete and like everything makes sense around you. Lovely, insightful title, I think, based on a webtoon, which I think is a huge thing in Korea. There's a lot of Korean TV shows uh, based around webtoons, and there must be quite a rich medium because there's depth here that must come from the original writing. It's sort of an, a kind of like the equivalent what of a Japanese webtoon? anime. It's like, I, oh, well, I'm going to look it up right now. A webtoon is, according to Wikipedia, a type of digital comic that originated in South Korea. Webtoons were mostly unknown outside of the country during their inception. There's been a surge in popularity internationally, thanks in great part to most uh, being read on smartphones. So there you go. It's kind of self-published content, then, I suppose, or magazine content, but viewed online, and it's artistic Is it the nature. equivalent of, like, the newspaper comics, like Dilbert or something like that? Yeah, but I think more like a manga but published online so more depth now. kind of like a comic really but not superheroes mm. they're like real life comics anyway so <laughs> what this is about um is a young guy called Gude jang jang Gude, and he uh, is a young chap who has all his life as a child been an extremely talented go player go is a bit like chess but the kind of East Asian variant of chess that is massively strategic. Um, I think they, they used to say that generals used to play it and you have to be an amazing sort of strategist to be good at it. And there are massive, you know, high levels uh, of attainment and huge championships. You can be a professional player, that kind of thing, just like chess. And he was so talented. He had a master when he was young. He poured a lot of his life into it. Um, his family supported him doing it. Then, you know, and he dropped out of school to pursue it because he was he was had such talent that he was encouraged to do that. But then his father dies and their source of income kind of dries up. He has to stop. He has to just leave his life of playing Go. He never managed to sort of break into the professional circuit. Um, and he kind of ran out of time, ran out of money. So all his life up to this point, 
was heading in one direction and now suddenly he has no direction to go in because he gave up on school. All he's done is work various part-time jobs, doesn't have any qualifications or skills to bring to the workplace, but he must earn money to support him and his mum living in Seoul. I think it's in Seoul, the capital city of South Korea. Um, And then one day he gets an opportunity through family connections somehow to be an intern at a trading company in South Korea called One International, one of the biggest trading companies in the world. I sort of really understand what trading companies are, um, but suffice it to say, it's hard work and it's international business done on a massive scale. And Jang finds himself amongst all these super qualified, um, hopeful business people who can all speak multiple languages. They've all done business courses, so they understand invoices and shipping details and how to do financial forecasts and use spreadsheet software. He doesn't know any of that. He's just been given a chance and he gets dumped in this team, Sales Team 3, where his manager, Sangshik Oh, um, needs experienced help and finds he's got this newbie who can't do anything. And But the newbie, the Jangare, needs this job and he needs to be well-paid and needs to find stability. So he's got to convince his manager, Mr. O, that he is worth taking a chance on so that he can learn all the things he needs to learn to succeed in this office environment. What sort of tone is this show? That's the thing which I'm struggling to kind of uh, realise. Is it kind of a a dramedy? Is it a comedy? Is it uh, just about... um, kind of the the subtle quiet moments of office life uh, wh- where would you kind of put it on an emotional scale yeah i wish i didn't have to use this phrase because people describe it as a k drama and i don't like that kind of tone because it's just that's just drama just made in korea but i do think as far as tone goes it's pretty unique phil because i think everything you described is in there each episode is like an hour long or over an hour long so they're all like mini movies in and of themselves there are 20 episodes often about an hour and 20 minutes long. And Mm. in the course of that episode, you have drama, um, you have anxiety, you have emotion, you have comedy, you have kind of coming of age stuff, relationship dilemmas. It is just like actual life, but based around someone's job. And, you know, I'll give you a a sort of hint as to how it goes. Garay does impress uh, Mr. O enough by his effort and determination um, and his ethic that he does get a shot to be an intern there at least for a while and then he he's constantly re- treading water trying to survive in this corporate environment around other interns who are much more qualified than him he forms relationships with three of them young yi an uh, jang bekshi and oh what's his name Siok sul i can't remember all very different personalities um, and he's working with the manager too. The manager himself has got all kinds of problems with the director and a past, a very emotionally significant past. He's quite a live wire. He doesn't necessarily do things by the book, but he's very talented. And that puts sales team three in conflict with a lot of different parts of the department. So Jang uh, Garay has to uh, kind of experience that as he grows up. He works with this guy, uh, Kim. Uh, what's his name? I can't remember any of the names properly. Uh, um, forgive me that the Korean names don't stick in my head too well. Um, who's like his immediate superior in Sales Team 3, young guy who takes him under his wing. Uh, he also he hasn't managed to find love yet in his life, but he's very jolly. He really respects Mr. O. It's, I, I appreciate that it's quite hard to follow all this, but I cannot tell you 
how much this show wins you over and how much you care about little Jangaree who does the best despondent walk I've ever seen. You know in Arrested Development when they play the Charlie Brown music and they kind of walk with it. Yeah, the Charlie Brown looking walk, sad. Yeah. Yeah, this show is got full it's full of that, but in moments like that for real. I like I have never felt more emotional about um a spreadsheet getting delivered on time than I have uh, in this film or someone's successful business uh, plan, you know, being accepted. You know, you talk about Grey's Anatomy and you say the problem with that is it has an escalation problem and the only Mm. way they can keep you interested, granted it's 11 seasons compared to one season of 20 episodes, and the only way they can do it is by people just succeeding all the time and being amazing. One of the most interesting things about this show is that I would say people fail as much as or even perhaps more than they succeed and yet somehow it's an upbeat show. It will always surprise you. Every time you think, that's it. That's the moment when Jangare is going to really land and finally be accepted. Something goes really wrong and it looks like he might lose his job and stuff like that. It's just, uh, it is emotional. I think the musical cues are incredible. You start to recognise them without them becoming annoying. They really like sort of clue you in to the emotional undercurrents of each scene. And the performances are just astonishing. I think Mr. Oh, um, who is played by Lee Sung-min, who I think is quite a um, well-regarded Korean actor, he's just a brilliant performance. He is alternately angry and severe, a family man, um, an inspirational father and a troubled guy trying to overcome something in his past. And he embodies that all through office work, (laughs) like through the way he sits at his desk, through the way he conducts meetings, through the kind of um, business environment, smoking on the roof, all that sort of stuff. I, I just, it's just fantastic. And I just, as I'm saying it, I know that I can't convince you by talking about it, especially because the first episode takes quite a long time to get going. I uh, I think I might have even, is this the one where it starts and they're in like a Middle Eastern country? Yeah, they're in Jordan. And you just, just got to ignore the, you must just ignore it. I can't tell you why you should ignore it or what's happening in that scene, but just push past it. Watch all of episode one. Okay, well, I will try and do that then because I started, I was like, what is this show? This is nothing like what Laurie talked to me about months ago when he said this is what he's been watching before we kind of picked up the podcast again. Um, But I I will power through. My one question and kind of query would be, is it sort of, you're saying it it kind of taps into what work life is like and maybe some of the the worries, doubts, concerns, interrelations. Like, basically, there's scenes where he's trying to put the toner in the printer. And I remember when I worked for an economics firm, which is not that dissimilar from this, projects going on all, all over the place, and like having a dilemma because I had to make 20 copies of the same project file and figuring out where I could put them in the print room so that I didn't lose track of the order the pages need to be stapled together. Stuff like that is real, and it's really... Ang- like it makes people really anxious and they freak out and they feel isolated like they're the weak link in the whole business and all this stuff this show absolutely nails that in such an uplifting way i can't even begin to explain it so does it does it kind of constrain the the scale of it to that sort of very like ordinary life sort of level or is that was what i was kind of wondering is is it a heightened version of uh, working life or is it like uh, actually they make they draw attention and make dramatic the very mundane i guess you've already said it it's kind of the the normal small parts so it, what's amazing about it, it is it is it is both extremely dramatic and entirely relatable all at once so you know young yi an uh, is the only female intern. She's extremely talented and obviously talented right from the get-go. She's already got experience. She can speak loads of languages. She's just really capable, has great ideas. But she gets placed in a team that doesn't want her because it's a laddish team. 
a laddish culture and they are sexist and demeaning. It's awful what she has to put up with. And you witness her try and figure out what to do. Like, is it worth sticking out? Is it worth complaining about it? Is there a toxic culture in the whole office that means nothing can be done about this? Is sexual harassment kind of the norm? It's not a lot of sexual harassment, but it's more demeaning and misogynistic. But watching her deal with that situation, it does mirror real life, I think, but it's also extremely dramatic. Just like one of the characters has got this sort of uh, long hair. He's a charming guy and he he knows how to work with the kind of man on the ground, so to speak, the factory worker, the blue collar workers. He really relates to them. But because of his job, he's put in a place where he's a white collar guy. And actually now he's the enemy of the people he maybe thought he related to the most. And that kind of thing is real, isn't it? It might only apply in little, little moments in someone's job, but it is kind of real. And they managed to extrapolate real drama from it. What, what I'll say is that the company isn't that important. And the kind of the, the high concept stuff, the projects that are happening, the you know, direction of the company, the overall success isn't really, isn't really part of the story. It is still there and you can kind of follow what's going on, but you don't really care about One International. You care about the people. And that, that's why I made a point of saying it's the characters that are really the characters that are really compelling because so quickly you're invested in all of them not none of them are entirely sympathetic like Bekshi Jang Bekshi he's very um competent and while Jang Garay is basically getting bullied by um the other interns for being unqualified and all this sort of stuff Bekshi sticks up for him but then later on when it looks like Jang Garay might be doing kind of well despite his lack of qualifications Jang Bekshi actually it really resents that. And it just shows exactly what people are like, because while you're on top and Mr. Competent, you can be kind to the person who's struggling. But when that person who's struggling is achieving quite well, you might start to hate them. Do you see what I mean? Because now you're mm. not the top dog anymore. That kind of stuff is just really beautifully uh, done in this show. Um, little moments, little subtle performances, a lot of drinking soju. I've been drinking soju since watching the show. Nice drink. <laughs> Um, and just to illustrate, I want to add this. Even in Korea, I think it was a, a surprise hit. Um, there are, If you look online for articles, people say stuff like, what is this weird pandemic that's gripped the nation where salary workers who work from you know 7 until 9 p.m. in their suits and they're rushed off their feet, they rush home after their day in the office to watch a show about the office. And it was kind of considered a cultural phenomenon because it was such a breakaway success. And I think people who work in offices for the first time felt like their lives were being genuinely represented and not for sensationalism, but just the actual drama and the trauma of working in an office and the emotions that you go through. I found it genuinely kind of encouraging because if you do get anxious at work, this show is so brilliant in showing you that everyone suffers in the same way and everyone has to overcome it in very, very similar ways, even though... You know, the South Korean work environment is different in some key ways. And to illustrate that, I've got the ratings in front of me, according to Nielsen on Wikipedia. Uh, episode one, peak rating 2.8%. Um, by the time it got to episode 20, 10.3%. You know, that's nearly five wow. times. And that doesn't happen in TV shows. Normally, it peaks mid and then dips off, doesn't it, towards the end. This one mm. is a continuous ascension to an eventual 10.3% rating, which is high, I think, um, in this in this kind of context. So there you go. I don't think I can say it anymore. Alan, I really desperately want you to watch it. Pull up with the subtitles because these characters are just wonderful. Like Judith and I, Judith will often, <laughs> when we're watching together, when Yang Garay appears on screen looking downcast again, she'll just, oh, she'll just make a kind of oh, little little guy. He's the sort of guy you just want to give a hug because of what he has to go through and the way that he deals with it. And you kind of want to shout at him to be more assertive sometimes. And yet also you can't really imagine 
what life's like for him. It's just absolutely brilliant and you must watch it. It's on Netflix. There you go. Laurie's plea, I'm going to put it as a plea to watch Miss Saying. Uh, and it's on Netflix, one season, 20 episodes, 20 minutes or so each episode, no, isn't it, roughly? One hour, 20 minutes. Yeah. like and they're One hour, episodes. 20 minutes. Okay. Yeah, that's what okay. I was saying. So they're almost 20... like little movies in and of themselves. Sorry, I'm, I, I misheard that little tiny detail, but I'm glad we clarified it then. So do check it out and get in touch. Flixandfilm at gmail.com or you can tweet us at Flixandfilm. Uh, you let us know if you managed to get past that first episode. That is the weirdest opening I've ever seen to a show. Um, but yeah, I will persevere. I will persevere. Uh, you must. I really want to know what I'm you getting, I'm getting to say. <laughs> okay, okay. I will, I will persevere. Ellie's not so hot on the subtitles. I'll watch Bo Burnham. <laughs> okay, deal. And I need to give you the departed. We'll get back to you. Yes, you do. Okay. Time has got away from us once more, and I won't be able to share what my internet rabbit hole is. Oh yeah, uh, you've I keep kind me of wanting to for do some this reason. One. I know. I and I don't want to give away what it is, but maybe it doesn't matter what I give away. Basically, it's uh, I can't help myself read and listen to people talk about being on a show or about a particular show. I'm not going to say any more than that. I will talk about it next week. Hell or high water, I think uh, I will definitely Come be hell speaking about water. it. I will. Yeah, okay. exactly. Uh, but thanks for joining us. Listeners, uh, as always, get in touch. Plus ones, minus ones. Let us know if you agree, disagree. If you check out anything we watch or you want us to watch anything, do suggest it. We do look at all your suggestions and there's just so much content everywhere. Uh, that's yeah, a true. challenge, but we will. Uh, we love the recommendations and we hope you love ours too. Laurie, you've got a bonus. I'm sure of it. Hit us. Oh, well, especially after that email from Mr. and Mrs. What We've Been Watching. Um, is that what it was? I can't remember. Uh, I feel like I need to. I'm just looking through my list. I, there's lots of stuff that we haven't um, uh, that haven't covered. But I, 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 while I'm sort of thinking for a proper one, I can tell you that um, what, what I've discovered a new um, uh, hobby of mine that I didn't realise existed. And as you might imagine, with many of my kind of hobbies, it's the sort of thing that annoys my wife on a regular basis because um, it's called TM spotting, as opposed to train spotting. Uh, I've just, I've suddenly become someone who, when my wife um, buys or as often is given, you know, let's say organic shampoo made from whatever from the Himalayas, uh, I quite like to look at the list of ingredients and the statements on the bottle and see which of those statements are followed by a TM. Because if you can find something that has the got a TM, you mean. yeah, that means it ain't scientific. That means it's a marketing slogan that they don't want anyone else to use. And there's a famous one, which I, I actually don't know the truth of, but it did the rounds a long time ago. They apparently, allegedly, there used to be a company called 100% Beef. Um, and the claim at the time was that that allowed McDonald's to write on their packets we get all, all of our burgers are 100% beef because they source them from that company, which is a way around because it was a trademarked phrase. Allegedly, it therefore is a way around not actually having 100% wow. beef and being able to claim it. And I think if, as you start, it sounds quite cynical, but as you start reading things, especially things like cereal um, or, you know, food that purports to be healthy, look for the TM, TM spotting, because uh they can make these claims and it, they're not lying about it. It's just sometimes it's quite cleverly put together so that what you think you're seeing is a, um, is a kind of really justified thing, but it actually tends to be 
uh, a marketing slogan. And I wrote one down. I wish I could remember because all I've written in my blooming notes is Jude's new shampoo plus 100% beef. Because <laughs> there was one in particular <laughs> that... Uh, there was one in particular that um, was really like, oh, what was it? I, I'm, I'm always tempted to run out and ask Judith where it is. But it was one of these shampoos that you get that was, um, you know, claiming to be all sorts of things uh, like naturally sourced. And they say naturally sourced TM. It's like, well, it isn't. That means it's not naturally sourced. That means they've just put the name of their trademark on the bottle and it's not naturally sourced. It's amazing. So there you go. TM spotting. Sneaky companies. On that same vein, thinking about corporations, I have got a bonus this week, uh, which I wanted to talk about. I don't know if you've come across uh, Diet Coke's new uh, advertising uh, that they've done. It's sort of a weird um, uh, sort of 80s-vibed-esque uh, trailer that they're doing. And I keep on hearing it in uh, uh, Anna on the TV or on the radio. And I think it's the new slogan is just because or whatever. And I, right. I just I just got to the point where I was like, why why is diet coke advertising ever like who hasn't heard of diet coke yeah like at this point i don't understand it like why are companies that's doing a it? really like, good like, question wait wait our sales are down let's hit them with an advert maybe they just need to be reminded that diet coke is existing like who doesn't know diet coke who needs values associated with diet coke now who i just don't understand it i don't understand it man uh, I, yeah, than, I know exactly where you're coming from and do you remember because we went to london 2012 um together uh, when it was on the Olympics. And do you remember they had that Coca-Cola like thing, like display in the middle of <laughs> Olympic Park? Do you remember that? And it kind of pumped music out of it. But it was oh, utterly yeah, pointless. There's nothing there. And I remember thinking, like, what what is Coke doing here? Like what why why is it here? <laughs> Does it do, do they need to remind everyone that they exist even at the Olympics? And I think the answer, Phil, is it is it is a marketing strategy thing. Because if you have the money, then what you do is you just overwhelm the market over and over again. So that you know whenever you think of a cola drink you always think of coke you said yourself you you know it so well you don't even they don't even need to advertise it but which just illustrates the strength of that marketing tactic if you own the market in that way or you're you don't own it you know if you're top of the hill in that way and you have the money then all you do is just drown out the competition over and over and over again but do you think they are drowning out when was the last time you tried a non-pepsi or non-coke cola drink the answer is when there wasn't Pepsi or Coke available. <laughs> you ne- you would you would never you would that never take true. a chance thinking that something else might taste better. A pretentious restaurant which is like we've got we've got natural Coke which is just bleh. Yeah, you drink it thinking it yeah, tastes a no, bit I- like dirt, but at least it's organic. Like um, you know, that's the thing. <laughs> yeah. They they've nailed it. They um that that is why they do it. That is exactly why they advertise when they appear not to need to advertise. There was the Panda Cola that was very successful with the kiddies, wasn't it? The uh, the Panda Cola. Oh, okay. the um, what are they, Panda Pops? The fast... Yeah, the, uh, I remember drinking those as a kid. Uh, it yes. tasted revolting. I think it's because they were cheap. They're them. cheap wholesale for schools. You know, get kids on the fizzy drinks yeah. early. You never know, they might have been owned by Coke <laughs> or something like that. Um, oh, yeah. But I, I don't know. I'm just not convinced that, what, that, that it's not so prevalent that... It's, it's, I don't know if it is drowning it out because it's just what I've seen maybe two of them. But I'm just thinking who, I've heard two and it must be a new advertising campaign, but who, who needs to hear it? I don't need to hear it. And what does that slogan mean? Just because what, I, I don't understand it. <laughs> Have a lovely week, listeners. Thanks for tuning in. Sorry, again, that we have too much to say. We will get to Phil's rabbit hole. He tantalised us with it. Uh, I'll do my audiobook gag that I was planning this week. We'll do it all next week. Um, And if you're on Half Turn this week, hope you've had a good one. Yep. Bye, guys. Thanks for joining us. Email us in. (laughs) 